Welcome to His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. We're glad you've chosen to join us today. Our passion at His Life Ministries is to help believers know Him and show Him. So we keep it simple. It's just about Jesus. Our prayer is that the Holy Spirit will make His truth plain to you so you can walk in freedom and enjoy the life of union that God has designed for you to live. And now, here's Pastor Todd. Today we're going to look at uh, Galatians chapter 4, verses 8 through 20. And I know that's a lot of ground to cover, but the section of this letter that I'm talking about is intensely personal. It's not particularly doctrinal, but it's intensely personal. And so often we don't see the personality of Paul. We see him giving forth doctrine, teaching, and preaching, but we don't see the tenderness of his heart. We don't see his passion for these people. And the reality of it is that when you see the passion of Paul, you're seeing the passion of our Father God. You're seeing his heart for the people. And Paul, as you know, is dealing with the believers in the territory of Galatia who've literally forsaken the truth to turn towards a religious carnality. This group that came to them under the guise of being from the Jerusalem church where they were Judaizers, which is just a fancy way. That's what Paul called them. It's a fancy way of saying that they were legalists. And their desire was not so much to keep the law of Moses as it was to get the Gentiles under the law of Moses so they could have control over them, so they could direct them. They had an excellence in keeping the appearance of the law, as most Pharisees did, but they did not keep the truth of the law, which no man could, save one, that man Jesus They came telling them that this is what you need to do in order to complete your salvation, in order to have the fullness of the salvation that Jesus gave you. So we're going to look at this part of of the letter that really Paul has been very severe up to this point. And he's severe with them because they've embraced spiritual defection. They are traitorous towards God. And Paul, at this point, is pleading with them to return to truth. Now, let's look at our text. We're going to begin. I'm going to back up to verse 7 just for context's sake. But we're going to look at verses 7 and 8. Chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, bondservant, but a son. And if a son, then also an heir, through the gracious act of God through Christ. But at that time, when you did not know the true God and were unacquainted with him, you Gentiles were slaves to those pagan things which by their very nature were not and could not be gods at all. Now, as I said before, Paul in the preceding verses has reminded the Galatians of their adoption through Christ and therefore they are now fully sons. And the Greek would indicate mature sons, not just sons. Not just offspring, but mature sons. That means ready to be be heirs, to be heirs, and to be responsible. They're mature heirs. You are sons. You are not destitute slaves. In verse 8, the word no, and this is important. You look in that verse and you see that word no, okay? That word no is actually edo, 
which refers to a perceiving with the senses or a knowing with the mind. Edo. Paul is saying, during this, that time when you did not know God, you were enslaved to the natural godless things. Externals ruled you. You were chained to circumstances. The appetites of the flesh and idolatry. And isn't that the truth? Because you're going, you were made to be ruled. You were. That's a reality. Something is going to have mastery over you. And you will either operate as a slave or you will operate as a son. And this is the reality of it. A son enters into the full inheritance. You know, the Judaizers, they were promising these Galatians that if they just do the following things, they would enter into salvation. But they couldn't promise them inheritance. They couldn't promise them sonship. They could only promise them that they would be saved barely <laughs> if they did everything right. And you know what? The, the uh, hypocrisy of it all was that they weren't doing everything right. So, let's look at verse 9. Now, however, since you have come to know the true God through personal experience, or rather to be known by God, how is it that you are turning back again to the weak and worthless elemental principles of religions and philosophies to which you want to be enslaved all over again? Now, in verse 8, we had the before. And in verse 8, he said, before Christ. In verse 9, it's after Christ. In verse 9, we have a different word for no. Remember the word no in 8? Well, the 1 in 9 is different. That word is actually gnosko. And that word is an intimate knowing that speaks of oneness. It's the same word that's used for sexual union. To be known by God is to be in union with God. That's what the Greek is telling you. To be known by God is to be in union with God. Listen, Christian, this idea that you exist apart from God, that you can go your own way, that you can fall out of fellowship, that you can live a life of rebellion and God is off somewhere, kind of watching you at a distance, is a complete lie. Anything that speaks of separation in the child of God between the child of God and God Himself is a complete lie. Jesus said very clearly, I am the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Nothing. You don't exist as a branch. Apart from the vine, you're a stick. You don't have any purpose. You cannot have any vitality. You don't even have life. And when you were reborn in truth, when God formed you as His child, I'm not talking about creation. I'm talking about the new creation. He literally created you as, as in union with himself, as part of himself. So, what that verse is telling you is that you are known, ginosko, you have an intimate knowing. It speaks of oneness, it speaks of union with God. And before the Galatians had no true knowledge of God. They may have known about God, but that would not deliver them from slavery and ignorance. They were deserting the truth, forsaking knowing, not losing their salvation, but forsaking the living communion that they were created for. You see that? 
They'd walked away from the living communion that God literally created them to exist in. For they were forsaking intimacy and turning away from the interaction of God's or Christ's life in them. That's what they were doing. They were moving from strength and confidence of an intimate relationship with God to weakness, fear, and doubt of dependency on flesh. Now those are only two ways you can live. The reality of it is, is that he says, okay, over here you had absolutely no acquaintance with God. You knew about God, but you didn't know Him. When I rebirthed you, when you were born again as a new creation, I literally put my life in union with you so that you would have interaction with the Spirit of God. And let me tell you something, the Spirit of God is not just the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is the Spirit of the triune God. It's the wholeness of God. We sing holy, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about the wholeness of God. And you know what? He says you are holy. And he's not calling you God, but he is saying that you are now part of the whole. You now are in union with the whole. Consecrated, set apart, brought into himself, created for himself. That's who you are. They were forsaking truth. Forsaking communion, forsaking intimacy, turning away from the interaction of his life, moving from strength to weakness. They had known the sweet communion and fellowship with God, and Paul wanted them to remember the freedom, the joy, the peace of knowing God and being known by God versus ignorance and cruelty of slavery. Here's the thing, and I experienced this very, very often. I'll be bumping along living by faith, having my focus on the Lord, operating in the presumption that I am loved, accepted, and held by Him. Living in that love with joy. And then I'll come along and something trips me up. I get distracted. I look away. I get caught up in the circumstances. I fall away with something. Something gets me. I get myself and I fall. And I get up and my first thought is, how can, I, how can I tell you how sorry I am? How can I prove how sorry I am? How can I tell you that I, I'm so, I so regret that? Because Lord, I, I want to have that oneness with you again. I want to have that wholeness with you again. I want to walk in the joy that I had before I fell. And you know what? That's a lie. It's a complete lie because he didn't go anywhere. I'm living that oneness and because I'm unbelieving, I'm thinking that because I fell, he left. You know what? If my relationship is dependent upon the perfection of my behavior, it's a goner. It's a complete goner. My relationship with God is not dependent on my behavior. It is resting in who I am. And it's not moving. It's not moving. So, I get up, and the Spirit of God reminds me. He reminds me, I've not left you. I love you. And you know what? There's just this inclination of, and within us, particularly that's been raised in the church, we feel like we've got to, to do something, right? We've got to express something with, with a great deal of passion and penitence. We've got to make sure that he understands how, how sorry we are. And, and you know what? 
Remember what I just said. I was bumping along, taking, operating under the presumption of his love and his, and his kindness and his joy and his peace. And I was having a great old time and I fell. Remember that? Well, you know, when I was having that great old time, God knew exactly what was going to happen next. He did. He didn't withhold his love because he said, oh, I know he's going to screw that up. He didn't. He let me have the fullness of his life. And you know what? That's not going to end. Never. I'm going to live in that for eternity. And I'm going to go from glory to glory to glory because of who I am as his son, as his child. Paul wants him to remember Remember the joy. Remember the peace. Remember the sense of acceptance. Remember the love. Remember that you had freedom and confidence in Christ. Verse 10, Paul continues. For example, you observe particular days and months and seasons and years. Verse 11, I fear for you that perhaps I have labored to the point of exhaustion over you in vain. It is possible that in the attempts to bring the Gentiles under law, that these Judaizers started with the easily achieved laws, the simple laws, the days of the month, you know, the, the little ceremonies. Now, these things we check off pretty easily, you know, Monday night visitation, Wednesday night prayer meeting. We can get it all checked off. We can keep that, you know, and we're going along with great confidence. Look at us, we're just keeping the law. But they kind of sneak up on you. Because, you know, the truth is, if these guys had walked into that Gentile con congregation saying first and foremost, the first thing all you guys got to do is get circumcised, I don't think they'd have quite the following. Do you? I think the back door would fly open and half the congregation would be gone. At least the male half. The reality of it is, I think they eased them into it. You remember the illustration of boiling a frog? I don't advocate you boil a frog. But you turn the heat up slow so they don't jump out of the pot. Well, I think that's what's going on here. And this is why Paul says, you want to keep the months. You want to keep the, the ceremonial law. And you know what? I'm afraid for you. I'm afraid for you that perhaps all that I taught you, you've set aside. Now, what is he talking about? He's talking about all that doctrine that he taught them? No. What he's talking about, what he labored with them in, was understanding who they were in Christ. And that's the principal thing you have to forget to follow this lie. That's the principal thing you have to forget to, to live in that kind of legalism. You have to totally discount the work of Christ, totally discount the, the new birth, totally discount the new creation, and reduce it into some kind of legal act. And he says, I fear for you because I feel like you maybe you've forgotten all of this. And here's the reality of it. Guys, if, you've, if you have walked away from the truth of absolute grace and love, you've walked away from living in any of it. You've just embraced hardship. You've just embraced your failure as your, as your reason for God to be leaving you behind. You have just walked away from the, from the richness of the relationship. And the reality is this, that God has made you for relationship. 
Now, if I was the enemy and I couldn't do anything about the fact that God made you for a relationship, all I could do would be accuse you of so messing that up that you didn't have it. And that's the truth. If I'm the accuser, I would spend my time convincing you that that open, unconditional relationship had conditions. A condition you couldn't meet. Maybe you've got a besetting sin like anger or something of that nature. Maybe it's even worse. And you're walking along with God and everything seems just so wonderful. You're having such great fellowship and then you trip over yourself and fall back into that pit. And the first thing the enemy says is, well, I know it wouldn't last. I know it wouldn't last. And it's a lie. Because nothing changed. Your behavior did not change your God. Paul says, I fear for you. Paul was a former Pharisee. He had been there, done that. To Paul, it was a fearful thing to re-enter that bondage. He remembers what it was to live under condemnation without hope. And I've never been a Pharisee, but I remember what that's like because I can pick that up just about any time or any day of the week. All I have to do is tune in to Accuser 101, and next thing you know, know, everything I do has got a problem attached to it. And if he needs a little help, he can play it in stereo because I'll have somebody around me that'll agree with him, right? And he remembers, Paul remembers the bitterness and frustration. He remembers the roller coaster ride of feeling in with God one moment and out with God the next. Being in bondage to the rule of the law and the wicked appetites of the flesh. You know, this is why we give thanks in everything. This is why we gather in worship and praise to recall our amazing deliverance and rejoice in the new birth. We need to be reminded, not just once a week or twice a week, but moment by moment we need that affirming, we need that constant affirmation as the confidence builds. And let me tell you, I've told you this before, but the way you're affirmed in truth is walking in truth. Living in truth. Denying the lies in your soul. Denying your emotions. Denying your judgments. Denying your criticisms. Denying your hardships. Denying the condition of the body. Denying all that's coming against you. As Paul did in saying, I am blessed. I'm walking in truth. I am living eternally in Christ. I'm going to rejoice in the Lord. Well, you don't have any reason to rejoice. I have every reason to rejoice. Every reason. And a reason that cannot be approached. A reason that cannot be assailed. A reason that cannot be shaken or doubted is Christ Himself. I live in that rejoicement. In that truth. Some of you may remember uh, that John Newton, the guy who wrote uh, Amazing Grace, isn't that right? He wrote Amazing Grace. He was a former slave trader, lived a horrible life, and God got a hold of him. And his verse that he kept ever before him was Deuteronomy 15.15. Deuteronomy 15.15. And you shall remember and thoughtfully consider that you were once a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. We forget. We forget. And he says, you should remember, you shall remember. Why are we commanded to remember? Why? Why are we commanded to give thanks? Why? 
Because we are to live this life by faith. We're not to be taken by the undertow of a distracted soul. The Galatians had forgotten what it was like to be a slave. To be held in the land of captivity. They had forgotten it. How many times do we forget? I'll tell you how often you forget. Or I'll tell you how long this lasts till you lay this body down. That's how long it lasts. You know, faith wouldn't be a challenge if there wasn't something kicking against it all the time. And this body kicks against faith. It provokes you to believe because it's constantly telling you a lie. It's telling you that you're temporal. It's telling you that you're mortal. It's telling you that you're weak. It's telling you that that you're a failure. It's telling you that you're getting older, that you are getting uh, weaker, that you can't do it, you can't handle it. And you know what? It's right if it's just in reference to the body, but it is not right when it comes to the glorified new creation who says, in Christ, I can do all things. In Christ. We're not challenged by the lies of the enemy or the body of sin. Verse 12. Believers, some of you may have brethren. I beg of you because as I am free from the bondage of Jewish ritualism and ordinances, for I have become as you are, a Gentile. You did me no wrong when I first came to you. Do not do it now. Now, Paul is literally begging Some of you may have the word beseech. That is the word for intense, passionate begging. Become as I am. That is, return to the freedom you have in Christ and live in the truth as I do. And this is present tense. It means continually live in the truth. Continually return to the truth. Why would he have to tell you to continually return? Because you're going to be continually Drifting back. Now, that's no secret. And we don't need to be discouraged by that. Perfection doesn't hit us till heaven. Okay? We live this life by faith. And the challenge of faith is believing the truth of who we are in Christ in spite of our failures, isn't it? So I tend to believe that my failures are the idiot light on the dashboard that says, time to believe. That's the way I look at it. Time to believe. I beg you. Paul is begging, and this is passionate begging. Become as I am. Paul is telling them, I live as a Gentile. That's Paul speaking. I live as a Gentile, free from the Mosaic law, just as you have. Return to your freedom in Christ. Come back. This letter kind of reminds me of parenting. You start by telling your kids no when they ask you about something that you know is wrong. You tell them no, but... You know they're determined to follow that path. So next you try reasoning with them. You know if you do this, this is going to happen, that's going to happen, you know. Well, still no change. And after a series of other things you've tried with them, you plead. Now why would you do that? You can be tough and you can say, all right, just go on with your bad self, do whatever it is you're going to do. That's not parenting. That's abandonment. Parenting, plead. Spirit of God pleads with you. And then you say to them, Look, I love you so much, and I don't really want you to do this because this is what's going to happen. Please listen to me. That's pleading. That's pleading. Because you don't want them to suffer the consequences. That's what Paul's doing. 
Paul is looking at them and saying, please, please, listen to me. He says, uh, I want to let you remember. I want to call your remembrance back to the day that Christ birthed you into his freedom. I want to call you back to remembrance of the freedom that you experienced. The sense of acceptance and love. Is there anything that you're embracing right now that's better than that? You remember in Matthew 23 when Jesus wept over Jerusalem? Do you think that when Jesus ascended into heaven, he lost his capacity to weep and grieve over his children? I don't think so yet. And you know what? You know what my proof of that is? Paul is weeping and grieving. This is the heart of the Father you see in here. This is his heart for those people. When we enter into a spiritual defection of sorts by living according to the flesh, we grieve the Spirit of God in us because we were made for Him. Thank you for joining us for His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger. This program is the radio ministry of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. If you'd like to know more about us, visit us on the web at hislifeministries.org or on Facebook at His Life Fellowship. We would love to have you join us for worship. We meet on Saturdays at 5 p.m. at 1307 Blanco Woods at the corner of Blanco Road and Blanco Woods just inside Loop 1604. Also, if you would like to help support this ministry, you can send your tax-deductible donation to His Life Ministries, P.O. Box 1894, Bernie, Texas, 78006.